Welcome. You are listening to a broadcast by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted partner for smart and powerful generosity. And here is your host, Reverend Philip Leo, Director of Church Communications. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on Facebook Live. So glad uh, that you've been able to take some time out of your morning or afternoon, depending on where you're at, uh, and spend it with us this morning. We're talking about Funding Secrets from the Nonprofit World. Uh, my name is Philip Leo. I'm Church Communications Director at Barnabas Foundation. Uh, so good to spend this time with you. I'm joined by Kurt Knoll. He's our Director of Member Services. Kurt, great to have you here. Thanks, Phil. Uh, so uh, in the office, we've been talking about uh, events like these as sort of a crossover event because one of the ways to think about uh, Barnabas Foundation is that there's two sides. There's a member side, Kurt's director of member services. There's a church side, and I'm church communications director. So this is a crossover event in which we get to learn, uh, church folk get to learn uh, from uh, the nonprofit side from Kurt. So I'm happy to have Kurt with us uh, this morning. Um, not sure though, like if this translates into like Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. I don't know who Chicago Fire and who <laughs> who Chicago PD is. I, we we could figure that out later. Uh, um, so you, I'll say this in a little bit, but these aren't really secrets that we're talking about. But I'm uh, one. I like the word secrets because um, I feel like it gets people to pay attention. Uh, but there is a secret element to this. Uh, for me as a pastor, because when I came to Barnabas Foundation, I had this aha moment. I had this moment of realization when uh, it dawned on me that there are um, all these member organizations of Barnabas Foundation. There's 200 plus member organizations from Barnabas Foundation, and they um, uh, receive services uh, for planned giving uh, from Barnabas Foundation that ranges from marketing all the way to administration of, of gifts. And at some point, uh, maybe about a year ago, it dawned on me that this service matters to these uh, ministries, um, and so they pay attention to it. Um, this is not often the experience, or at least my experience in the church. Uh, often churches uh, don't get this. Um, they don't really um, take advantage of gifts that come from a will or planned gifts. Um, so that's why uh, I wanted to have Kirk come on and we could talk about this a little bit and talk about how this translates into a church world. Mm -hmm. um, so Kurt, let's, um, let's talk about uh, planned giving because we're going to use that phrase a lot. Not often a, a term that gets used in the church world. Um, so what are we talking about when we talk about, about, about planned gifts? Sure. Sure. Thanks, Bill. Um, the world of planned giving can get quite complex, but we like to break it down to a couple of simple gift types. Um, first of all, planned giving is really anything that requires, um, some level of third party expertise to assist in completing the gift. This could be a real estate broker. It could be a stockbroker. It could be a lawyer. It could be an accountant, something like that. It's something other than cash. Okay. Right. Um, and there are lots and lots of vehicles by which plan giving can occur, but we break them down and kind of said there's really three simple types of plan gifts. There are what we consider to be ultimate gifts or gifts in a will. These are end of life gifts that happen by uh, act of a will or trust or a beneficiary designation on um, a 
life insurance, uh, on an IRA, on a retirement account, or, or so on and so forth. Um, there are life income agreements. And these are rather unique agreements where a donor is able to make a gift into some sort of vehicle. There's many of them. And it provides them an income stream for their lifetime, and it reserves that asset for the youth to provide that income stream. And at the end of the life, at the end of the term of that agreement, that's when the ministry gets the gift itself. Okay. And then lastly, there are asset-based gifts. And so oftentimes, churches especially, almost every dollar that a church receives comes in the form of a check or cash that's written and dropped in the offering. Mm -hmm. um, and that represents about 10% or less of, of one's estate. Um, the other 90% are non-cash gifts we like to think of. Is everything else that someone owns. It's their home, it's their vacation home, it's on the end of the real estate, it's their stocks or retirement accounts that they have. Uh, in the case of farmers, it might be commodities, it might be a business interest for a business owner, but that's that's kind of what the nutshell, what, what plan giving is. Okay, so Kurt, you, uh, you live in this uh, member world of Barnabas Foundation. You're working uh, with not-for-profit ministries uh, of all different shades, stripes, uh, applications, things like that. But you're also um, in and around the church world. And in your experience, uh, what, uh, what are either opportunities you've seen churches take advantage of or even miss when it comes to gifts that um, either did or could go their way? Mm -hmm. Sure. Plan giving is difficult to implement in a church. There's a couple reasons why that is. First of all, in a ministry, you often have a development person that's engaging with the donors and maintaining that level of relationship. And that's where that, the um, introduction of plan giving really occurs. And then eventually where Barnabas is introduced to that process. Um, churches don't have that, mm -hmm. right? You have a pastor that preaches on Sunday. You have deacons or, or some other council that's handling the business affairs of the church. It's not one person that's kind of engaging the congregation, right. unless the pastor's doing it from preaching about stewardship. Um, but we have seen a few churches that have done it well, but it is, it's difficult to implement. Mm -hmm. But if you can harness it and, 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 um, and do it well and find a way to work with it with your congregation, these gifts can be transformational for a mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I will say what we have learned over time is that because there's the lack of that relationship building other than a pastor congregant kind of right. way, um, and two churches often are not structured in such a way to accept large complex gifts or large estate gifts. Um, either one, they don't have the policies and procedures in place to mm -hmm. deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and people fear that it becomes just this kind of slush fund for uh, pet projects of the council at the time. Or two, congregants get worried about not wanting to just fund the lights and pay the pastor's salary. Mm -hmm. They want to see their estate-based giving be used for transformational ministry in and around the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for those two reasons, oftentimes donors tend to be a bit reluctant to leave mm -hmm. a large plan gifts to a church. Um, and, but if you can harness that and figure out a way to do that within your congregation, and we've seen some that have done it really, really well, um, there's, a, there's a significant amount of money and assets sitting in the pews with your congregational members. Mm -hmm. And they, they give it to their favorite ministries, and why can't your church mm -hmm. be one of those favorite mm -hmm. ministries? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk, uh, we'll talk in a little bit about um, uh, leadership when it comes to plan giving in the church. Um, I've, in, even in my short time at Barnabas Foundation, I've uh, had conversations with church leaders who have uh, a pretty good awareness around this area of funding for ministry, and it's always impressive to have uh, conversations with them, see how 
they pay attention to it. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. uh, before we do that, let's talk about, uh, I, and I said at the start that we're, talk, we're saying these are funding secrets from the nonprofit world, but they really aren't secrets. Uh, what, when it comes to uh, gifts uh, from non-cash assets, gifts in a will, uh, what are some of the well-established facts about this that um, not-for-profit ministries know sure. and rely on and bank on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, when, you, when you're talking about gifts like this, it really expands the ability of the donor and the capacity of the donor to give. Mm -hmm. uh, when they think about things other than the checkbook, right? When they're not constrained by their cash flow, um, and they can think about transformational giving from their asset base. It really drastically increases the capacity that they're there to give. Okay. Um, and there's been several studies about this. Um, recently, there, there's a professor down at Texas Tech named Russell James. We do a lot of work with Russell. Yep. Um, we spend a lot of time with him. I spent a week down at his class. Um, but he's one of the foremost researchers in the area of plan giving and donor behavior. And it was recently the IRS released a treasure trove of data on nonprofits in a machine-readable format, which means a researcher like him could take it in and analyze this stuff. And so for about a seven-year period, he studied the data on these nonprofits and looked at their growth patterns. Those ministries that only took cash and those ministries that took cash plus something else, um, either gifts in kind, which is common for quite a few different charities that take in medical supplies, household goods, things like that, or financial assets, mm -hmm. you know, real estate, stocks, business interests, and the like. And for over that seven year period, and he sliced and diced this, looking at it in different segments from secular to faith-based and large and small and so on and so forth, regional and everything else. Right, right. What he found was that charities that accept only cash gifts grew at barely above the rate of inflation over that period of time. It was like 11% over a seven year period and the inflation component was like nine, nine and a half. The charities that took other things in addition to cash, stocks, currency or stocks, uh, real estate, business interests, uh, so on and so forth, grew at like 66%. It was phenomenally different. And so there's evidence of it being able to increase the donor's capacity to give. The other thing we've seen too is the University of Michigan has done a study that has, they followed a, a, a group of donors for a, uh, well over a decade now. And they looked at donor behavior before the decision was made to include charity in their will mm -hmm. or their estate plan. Um, and their giving patterns after. Right. And what they found is that fulcrum point when they make that decision, include charity as part of their estate plan, their giving patterns changed drastically to the point where they almost doubled their annual giving to that ministry. Wow. So there's, there's lots of data out there to justify plan giving. And we've all heard all the stories about the transformational shift now of, uh, from one generation to the next that's going to be happening. And so there's a lot of opportunity there. Mm -hmm. um, if we can find a way to get more and more churches to harness the power of this. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, I feel like a big part of my focus, a big part of my job is to try to communicate exactly what you've been talking about to churches, mm -hmm. try to have, uh, that light bulb go on that aha moment go on for churches, uh, so that they're able to tap into these resources as they think about, uh, transformational ministry. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ways that um, one of the important ways that church leaders help uh, other leaders in their church and help their congregations um, uh, access gifts from a will, gifts in a will, and also uh, gifts of non-cash assets, just has to do with the way they talk about 
um, plan giving. And uh, that's an area, of course, where we spend a lot of time in because we're helping member organizations talk about gifts and a will and gifts and non-cash assets. So what are some key things for us to keep in mind when it comes to communicating about plan giving? So we, we talk with our members all the time about two crucial means of communication when it comes to um, talking about plan giving. We often talk about the indirect communication, which is the literature that's sent out, right? It's in their newsletters, it's on their website, it's in their annual fund ask. Um, there's, it may be on a response device, but we're always encouraging our members to communicate about the opportunity of plan giving in its various forms and pick the pieces and use it when it's appropriate uh, within the, their communication protocol that they have. Right. Now for ministries, they have this, right? They have these communication protocols yep. where they send a annual fund ask several times a year. They have their newsletters, they have email blasts, they have receipt stuffers and the like. And so there's lots of opportunities to talk about these things. Um, certainly church can too. Mm -hmm. um, you have churches have newsletters, churches have mailboxes in some cases. So finding a way to do that, but it's important to just constantly be communicating about the opportunities of plan giving. And secondly, we talk about um, that direct communication and that's where that relationship officer steps in. And sometimes that relationship officer is the head of the organization if it's a small one. And other times it's a full blown development staff. Mm -hmm. And so we train those folks um, in how to talk about it, how to engage the donors, who your best prospects are to talk to, um, and ultimately how to drive home, you know, the message of plan giving and ultimately kind of acquire those gifts. Um, and so translating that into a church is, is not easy, but it can be done. And we've seen it successful with some churches. Um, it's important that the entire leadership be on board. Mm -hmm. um, just as it is in an organization, it's important for the entire board to be on board with the, uh, the idea of plan giving. Um, and then invest the time and resources into it to communicate the opportunities to the congregation. And you have 52 opportunities a year, right? Every Sunday, right? Right. <laughs> now, you may want to hit the whole, you know, hit that every single Sunday, but there are certainly opportunities for you to send out the message about the opportunity to give in smarter and different, more powerful ways, right? And the advantage is to doing so, because in some ways, you may be providing a service to that donor. That person sitting in the pew may not know about some of these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Churches can accept, um, can just as well be the beneficiary of an IRA charitable gift for 70 and a half as any other ministry is. Right. So let's make sure we're talking about this right. stuff. Yeah. That, that's the important. Um, you know, so one of the differences um, between churches, it doesn't have to be because many of our member organizations don't have the full blown staff. Maybe they're a small ministry and they have an mm -hmm. executive director or something like that. Right. Um, they're a member of Barnabas Foundation because they're accessing our services around plan giving. The same principle applies for churches as sure. well, because um, uh, many, I just heard a statistic in the Christian Reformed Church, I think it's something like 50, close to 50% of the churches uh, in the Christian Reformed Church have 100 people or less in them. So it's those churches are locally, uh, most likely a sole pastor, sole sure. staff thing. Uh, so, you know, we have this uh, mentality in the church that we can't access these things because we don't have the ability, the resource, the time, pastors are busy, all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to that? I would say I can tell you there's quite a few ministries that we've worked with that have only 100 donors. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Or, or just as small as the church, and they may be operating on a half million dollar budget huh? or three quarter million dollar budget. Okay. Um, and they are thinly staffed. We understand that. That's part of the reason why here at Barnabas Foundation, we try to pick up as much of the heavy lifting as we can. We provide the content, 
we give them the solution on how to market plan giving. Um, we can take care of everything from the back office side of things to help process that gift. Um, we'll manage the gift if it requires that, like if it's a life income agreement or so forth. We'll deal with the estate settlement process. We'll do all that work. And we do the training. We can train pastors too on how to talk about this. Right. Um, the key though is organizations that do this successfully understand that it is a process that does take time. Yep. They're willing to make the investment over a period of time. Yep. And then when I say time, we're talking about years. Yep. You don't start marking it today and all of a sudden you get your estate gift next week. Right. <laughs> right? These yep. things take years of planning. But when it's done well, the flow of funds from estate gifts is significant. Where we see some of our nonprofits that we work with, some of the member organizations, 20, 30% of their operating budgets funded mm -hmm. through this. And that's really a growth in their operating budget and the growth of the ministry they're able to do mm -hmm. for the kingdom mm -hmm. because they put in the invested that time. So leadership has to be on board, the pastor has to be out behind it, you know, the council right. and the congregation, all those things need to come together and the willingness to invest the level of time and resources into doing it and communicating it will naturally start to result in in the flow of gifts coming to the church. Yeah, so that's been my experience too, is that um, uh, the church leaders I see that uh, make use of services from Barnabas Foundation, one, um, are operating uh, from a perspective of vision related to their uh, ministry because sure. they're thinking about uh, the time even beyond themselves there. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about the impact of that ministry in the community for generations to come. Um, two, they also understand that um, it's a big picture strategy and not an overnight quick fix or anything like that. And sometimes uh, pastoral leadership is such that you're always working for the quick fix. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to understand that this is a big picture strategy as well. Um, and also uh, another thing that I'm consistently messaging to uh, the Christian Reformed Church is that all of these services, all the services of Barnabas Foundation are available to Christian Reformed Churches um, at no cost. It's complimentary because of our relationship with the Christian Reformed Church. Uh, the two main vehicles that we have in place are two accounts. One's called the Legacy Foundation, uh, which operates like a, a, a foundation, only it's centered here in Barnabas mm -hmm. Foundation. That's a, a big picture strategy where people can make uh, gifts of non-cash assets, gifts in a will um, for the long-term ministry of the church. Uh, we also have a treasurer account, a church treasurer account. That's an account that it's uh, it's basically like setting up a, a checking account or a right. savings account. That's a, as complicated as it is. Uh, but through that account, a treasurer account, church members can donate uh, things like uh, appreciated stock, things like that, uh, to the current operating budget of your ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are available. They're, um, you already have them. All you have to do is uh, activate them and uh, we can get you up and running. We also have um, uh, resources. Uh, we send out to every Christian Reformed Church a quarterly newsletter called Generosity Today. Uh, that's there to put in church mailboxes, to send out on your church email list. It's all about planned gifts. It's all about um, gifts and a will. It's all about promoting generous giving uh, in, in these uh, very powerful and smart ways. Um, and we also have, uh, I send to every Christian Reformed leader and also pastor, uh, Giving Well. In fact, there's one coming out. That's a monthly newsletter that has much of the same information. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's about all we have time for. Kurt, thanks uh, for joining me My pleasure. on this uh, crossover event. 
you are Chicago Fire and I'm Chicago PD <laughs> and I have no idea why. But, um, but one thing too is that I'm going to continue to pay attention to the member side of Barnabas Foundation because I recognize that, um, that I can bring a lot of uh, what you do on the member side to the church side. Um, so I'm going to continue to keep my eye out, continue sure. to uh, share these secrets. Um, just the final note is uh, we'll be at Inspire. If uh, any of you are planning on being there, it's end of August, somewhere around there, or beginning of August, something like that. Uh, we'll be there. We'll have a booth. Uh, CRC pastors stop by. We'll have some swag for you. Make sure you say hello. And I'm just checking on the uh, feed here to see if we have anybody chiming in with any questions. I don't see it. So um, thanks for joining us and uh, have a great day. Thank you for listening. This audio has been brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn how we can help you experience smart and powerful generosity. Visit us today at www.barnabasfoundation.com.